Okay. Good morning. Uh, we're starting a series, a six-week series on marriage. And uh, we normally do a marriage retreat uh, this time of year, which is not happening. And so instead, uh, we are doing this in our equipping class. And uh, the point of the equipping class is to help equip people to live a three-dimensional life of up, in, and out. The reason we teach in this class is to equip the saints for the work of ministry in these three areas of life. And we do that really through equipping in three different ways. The head, the heart, and the hands. And so the question might be asked, what does marriage have to do with the three-dimensional life, right? Like, how, how do those uh, come together? How do those work together? And, and, and think about this, though. Is our marriages um, are designed to help us grow in these three areas. Listen, our marriages are one of the greatest tools we have for sanctification. Being married to someone else, where I have to actively stop being selfish every day, helps me become more like Christ, Correct. Learning to live with another person helps me to learn to live in the community of the faith. And, and then our marriages, as we're going to see today, are to be this display case for the gospel. There we go. There'll be this display case for the gospel. But here's what happens many times. Is our marriages, here's, when they are unhealthy, prevent us from living out this three-dimensional life. Because here's just, as a pastor, I know this more than anything that your marriage, if it is not healthy, will prevent you from truly walking with God. Your marriage, if it's not healthy, will prevent you from living out faith with other believers. And your marriage, if not healthy, will not let you go out on mission for God. And so today, in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how we can grow in our marriage. And today we're going to focus really on the head and the heart. We're going to get to the hands and the practical aspects of marriage in the next few weeks, but today's going to focus really on the head and the heart of discipleship. And as you think about marriage, I think about, um, so I got married, me and Tracy got married, Jeff was asking, uh, eight and a half years ago. And that's not a, a long time ago or anything, but I can remember it pretty vividly. Um, and we got married in Las Vegas. Uh, nothing scandalous happened. We just got, Tracy didn't want to plan a wedding. We, went to, we took our friends and family to Vegas. There was a real minister that, that married us. And at some point, you know, I'm sitting there with friends and family, and it's interesting. Um, I remember my father, and my father is not the type of person who, like, has talks. Does that make sense? Like, let me talk to you for a second. He is not that father at all. I am that father a thousand times. My, my kids are so tired of me talking, it's unbelievable. And they're like six years old. But my dad says, hey, I'll talk to you. And he starts giving me advice on marriage. That's a whole other story about father and marriage. But that's a whole other thing. We're not going to do that right now. But I'm sitting there, and it, and it reminds you, and this is true for you guys, right? Everybody in your life has a thought on how your marriage should be, correct? On, on what are the pieces that make up a great marriage? Like some people think, okay, well, they are both. Me and Tracy have, have this little, little debate that she is like, man, I, I don't want our kids to get married too young. I see people get married too young and it ruins their life. I was like, that's not always true. It's not always true. You can get married young and have a, a thriving marriage. I want to raise our kids who are at 21 years old. They can get married if they want to. 
And we had this little debate going on. And, but some people think, well, if, if, you, if you don't have money in the bank, you can't get married. You got to have good financial resources and, and planning. That is the piece you need for a healthy marriage. If you get money worked out, you'll be good to go. Now, some folks say you got to have this great attraction, right? This spark, this love, this emotional feeling. That is the piece you need for marriage. Well, some folks think I've read all the books on marriage. I know everything in the world. I am good to go, right? And all these pieces in themselves are not entirely bad. But what I want to start today is, what are the first things? Think about for a moment. Um, think about this. When you get married, I remember when I got married, there was never a thought of like, no one dreams of having a bad marriage. Is that fair to say? You don't say I do and you're all dressed up with your family and your friends. You're not dreaming of fighting for the rest of your life, are you? You're not dreaming of being apathetic the rest of your life, of being co-parents the rest of your life. You're dreaming about this beautiful picture, honestly, of God's love with each other in your life. And the question are, what are the pieces to help us get us there? So my boys love Legos. And, and many times they get Legos and they want me to put it together for them right now. At least Connor does. He says, all right, Dad, I got this. Help me do it. And I get these instructions out and I am not wired this way at all. And so it's like this terrible thing in my life I have to do sometimes. It's the worst at Christmas. So you get like five Lego sets and there's like a week off of school. I'm like, oh my goodness. And so I have this Lego set and if, am I a bad parent? Um, we should do a parenting seminar next. <laughs> and, uh, and I get these, you get these things that these instructions say, do this, do this, do this. But here's what I found. Many times the way I'm wired, I'll get the wrong piece, right? I'll have this piece that looks just like the right piece, right? And I'll try for hours to get, it's just, it's just not working. It's just not working. It's just not working. And so what happens is, is that it, the whole thing doesn't work. It can't be built. And so today, the first things first that we want to talk about are really the, the pieces of a solid, biblical, and thriving marriage. What are the pieces of a solid, biblical, and thriving marriage? I got three words, and they all have the same first letter. So that's a win in itself right there. Uh, the first piece is the foundation. Second piece. Second piece, here it comes, is the fountain. And third piece is the focus. So we must know the foundation, the fountain, and the focus of our marriages. What we worship determines the quality of our marriage. What we worship determines the quality of our marriage. Everyone here is a worshiper. It's not just Phil and the band that like sing song. We all worship something in our lives. And what we worship will determine the quality of our marriage. So what do you worship? What do you worship? This isn't that hard to tell. Our ideas about life, the way we spend our money, uh, the way we spend our time, all these things reveal what we truly worship. 
And what we worship determines the quality of our marriage. And here is what the world leads us to worship in a marriage. It's two things. Uh, the first is ourselves. That the ultimate goal of life, and really marriage is about you being happy, isn't it? That you are the focal point of worship. That as you worship and satisfy and glorify and serve yourself, then you'll have ultimate fulfillment in your life and your marriage. The second thing that we worship in our marriages is our spouse. Right? The second thing we worship is our spouse. And, 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 and we, are, we are taught this from the earliest age. And here's how I know this, is I have watched TV my entire life. And the first show I can remember watching is uh, Saved by the Bell. Remember that show, Saved by the Bell? Yeah, right, yeah. If you, you grew up my generation, you know that show. And the whole point of that show was people loving each other. Like you get a, go- a girlfriend or a boyfriend. So from my age of 11 years old, to me, the ultimate goal of my life was to find a girlfriend, correct? And every movie we've seen since, either a romantic comedy or even a drama, really the ultimate saving the salvation person or thing in the movie is finding romantic love. If we find this romantic love, we will be blissful. Isn't that what we're taught? In all kind of subtle ways. And that is just not true. Is it correct? And listen, I love my wife. You love your spouse, I hope. All these things. But they are not a God to be worshipped. And hear this. You are not a God to be worshipped. That right there is a faulty, faulty foundation. Let's go to Ephesians 5. And we're going to look at the foundation of the marriage, which is the Bible. We are taught lots of foundations for marriage, right? Uh, Compatibility. um, What you want. What they want. uh, Great communication. These are the foundations for marriage. But we see the foundation for marriage in God's Word. We must... I'll say this. And following God and, and, and trying to have a, a Christ-centered, thriving marriage, we must start with who God is. We find that through His Word, correct? It starts with that foundation. It's in Scripture that we truly find God. We find His character, His heart, His plan for redemption. We find Jesus, and when we find Jesus, we find truth and love. Now, the world has a definition of marriage, doesn't it? It's, I am marrying you. Because you make me happy right now. I am marrying you because right now you make me happy. Now, if you change in 50 years of marriage away from the person you were at 24 years old, I will stop loving you and I will leave. We don't say things that boldly, but it is that underlying thought in marriages in America, isn't it? That if you, if you just break this contract, I'm out. Or... Do not get in the way of my dreams or what I want. <laughs> and I think about this all the time. Or somebody saying, this is not what I signed up for, right? This has had terrible effects on our society. We have marriages that are based honestly on a contract. That if you break the rules of the contract, I am out. It has had disastrous consequences for our society. And we see it all throughout the world, don't we? And so we have to think, what does the Bible say about this? And now, I wouldn't say that anybody in this room probably affirms what I just said. We wouldn't agree with that. But those things do suddenly get in our lives, our thoughts, what we think, what we live our marriages. What does Scripture say? Ephesians 5, verse 28. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members. There we go. Sorry. Just because we are members of his body. This is what I want you to underline or, or make a note of. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And here's the key. The two shall become flesh. This is the Apostle Paul teaching the church in Ephesus, which is after Jesus came and, and started the church. Let's go to Jesus, the words of Jesus in Matthew 19. And you see where Paul gets this idea from. Matthew 19, verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but they are one flesh. You see this picture in the words of Paul, the words of Jesus, of there being this idea of one flesh. Go to Genesis 2. When God created everything, and start with Adam and Eve, and how he starts life. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh. Scripture defines marriage as a covenant, not a contract. And here is the good news about this idea of covenant. Covenant leads to safety. A contract leads to us walking on eggshells. Because in a contract, if I break a rule, she's out, right? Look at verse 25 in Genesis 2. It says here, the man and his wife... We're both naked and we're not ashamed. There's this beautiful picture before the fall of man of just being open and free and being totally seen by another person. This is so important because there is no one who sees you at your worst more than your spouse, correct? There is no one who sees us at our worst more than our spouse. And if there is not an idea of the foundation of our marriage being God's Word, and God's Word showing us that the foundation for marriage is covenant, if there's not the safety of covenant, our marriages are always going to be in trouble. Or we'll hide the darkest parts of our soul. Like you might have this great marriage for 10 years as you hide the dark parts of your soul, but your soul will come out eventually, correct? And from there, because we're not based on a covenant, our marriages will crumble. Listen, as a culture, we inherently get this with our kids, right? If, if you're to uh, have a child, the idea of leaving your child is culturally unacceptable, isn't it? You're a deadbeat parent at that point. Because there is this oneness of being a parent, right? But, but Scripture says that the oneness of marriage surpasses the oneness of being a parent. That the marriage, the covenant relationship of marriage is first and it's foremost. We could never like leave our kids, right? 
But for some reason, we do think there's this like loophole to leave our spouse. Now listen, some people in this room have been through a divorce, and sometimes there are grounds for divorce. I'm not saying there's not. What I am preaching against is this idea of us taking the covenant of our relationship and our marriage under God too lightly. Because when there is this idea that there's like an out somehow because I don't like you anymore, that's always going to be a faulty foundation. But here's the issue. We know what happens after Genesis 2, correct? Genesis 3, the fall happens. Genesis 3, sin comes into the world, and sin has affected everything. So, you know, as a pastor, I like to think I understand that me and Tracy are in a covenant relationship. Like, I get that in my head. I believe that. We live our marriage that way. But I will tell you, I am full of sin. Tracy is full of sin. So, like, <laughs> this weekend, for example, um, we were supposed to go on a, a trip to Dallas um, to a conference to like worship God, have our souls refilled, um, not have kids bothering us. I, I can't tell you, like we were so excited for this trip. Then Tuesday, Tracy gets the flu. It's like, oh crap. All right, listen, it's Tuesday. Take your meds. By Friday, it'll be fine. Right, it'll be fine. And Tracy starts getting better. It's so good. And then Thursday, I get a call from Connor's school. Connor's sick. And I just curse God and I die right there. Um, <laughs> Connor is sick. And I go, um, we go and I get Connor, take him to the doctor. He like passes out at the doctor's office. Like literally he's like flued up to the T. And he's got the flu and I'm just like, oh man. And so we're like, okay, we can't go. And my mom was going to watch the kids that weekend. She's like, my mom's a nurse. She's like, you know what? I'm a nurse. I'll watch. It's no big deal. I'll take it. It's not a big deal to me. And we're like, are you sure? And like, yes, it's, it's fine. Well, then Friday morning hits, and then Hayes wakes up with the flu. And, uh, and so then we just can't, we can't do it with my mom. We can't go. We just shut it down. Right, we're not going anywhere. We're so frustrated. And then, listen, I do love my son. I do. I promise you I do my firstborn son. But that terrible human cannot take medicine. And, and Tamiflu is not fun to take. And... There was some sinning in our household Friday about 9.30 that I do not want y'all to see. Um, there, I was so frustrated with my son. And then Tracy's trying to have, I got it, Tracy, I got it. Just like that. And it's in that moment, yes, my wife, we are one flesh. But there is a ton of sin in our marriage. I am selfish in my marriage, Correct. I am many times where I think the God of my own life. And so what we need in that moment is really the fountain of marriage, which is the good news of the gospel. That the fountain for our marriages in the midst of everyday sufferings, everyday trials, and everyday sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ to be real to us. And this Friday, honestly, I can tell you that the gospel had to be real in my life and in my marriage. Does that make sense? And my story is not unique. My story is your story, correct? Of the sin and the frustration of life. Many times we believe 
And I believe this, I think some this weekend, the fountain for marriage is time away, which is really important. I, I am all for time. Yes and amen, time away. We think time away, a good sex life, all these things are what is the fountain to keep our marriage going, right? Listen, those things keep a relationship going. They do. Communication, time away, sex, all those things keep a relationship going. They do. But the gospel keeps the covenant going. Those are two different things, aren't they? A relationship and a covenant. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ can move us further into covenant with each other. So we see everything broken in chapter 3 of Genesis, right? The world is fractured. Our relationship with each other, our relationship with God, it's all broken through sin. And now we see the end of Revelation as we see the, the future of that God is going to return and make everything new. So we see this picture of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 and fall in Genesis 3. And we see restoration at the end of the book of the Bible, right in Revelations. And so where we are, as we put our faith in Jesus, we're right in the smack dab middle of redemption. Look back here. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I got a slide, I think. There we go. Yeah. Look on the slide. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so what we're living in our marriage is these active moments of redemption with each other. We're not fully restored yet. Listen, your spouse will always have sin the rest of your lives. They will always be selfish the rest of their lives. You will always be selfish the rest of your lives. So how do you persevere in your marriage? How do you keep going in the midst of this? How do you help redeem each other? It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's by the gospel we understand this, that all those saved, we remain sinners. Through the gospel, we we receive power to resist sin. Here's a shorthand. It's creation, it's fall, redemption, restoration. Many marriages struggle and are struggling now because we expect our spouse to live as a fully restored person. And when they don't live as a fully restored person, everything comes crashing down. There's only full, one fully restored person, that's Jesus Christ, correct? So we look to Him. And here's the challenge for us in a marriage. This is, this is like the, the, the point where I wrote the notes and I'm like, oh man. We can either be a tool of redemption that leads our spouse to be more fully restored or a tool to make our spouse be more fallen. Does that make sense? So in our marriages, we are put together to help sanctify and redeem each other, right? But if we're not careful through our own selfishness, through us forgetting the gospel, we're going to push our spouse and, our ch- and each other towards our fallen state. So how do you apply the gospel in your marriage? How do you make this idea of creation, fall, redemption, restoration like a real thing in your life and your marriage? I've got three things for you. First, immerse yourself in gospel rhythms. Immerse yourself in gospel rhythms. This happens through your personal devotions, through you seeking God in the quiet place, right? It happens through life in community. 
that as we're doing life together, we're all pointed towards Christ, our redemption, towards the gospel. It happens through worship with other believers. Like today is this means of grace for us as a people. As we come together, as we, as we become more like Christ together today, that's a healthy step for our marriage. Uh, reading books that grow your faith in Christ. This is how we immerse ourselves in the gospel. Second way to apply the gospel in our marriage. Confess and repent often. Let your spouse and one or two others get the last 10%, right? Let there be people in your life that know the dark parts of your soul, not just your spouse. There should be a loving brother or sister in your life that you are sharing that last 10% to. This shouldn't be said, but I will say this. Uh, men, this should not be another woman in your life. And ladies, this should not be another man in your life. The, the opposite sex to kind of share that last 10% is your spouse. But I, I, I need brothers in my life that are pushing me, holding me accountable. And wives, you need sisters in your life doing the same thing. And last, give grace, give grace, give grace, give grace. Because listen, uh, I hope today we leave encouraged. hope our minds are renewed at what marriage is. hope our hearts are full from hearing the gospel. But Monday's coming, isn't it? Monday at 645 when you're making breakfast and, and you're trying to get to work and kids and life is happening. It's coming, isn't it? Give grace, give grace, give grace. And here's why. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Also, you are not the Holy Spirit, are you? We hear this idea that we're called to speak truth and love to each other, and we are. That, that is true, and that is right. But not every truthful thought needs to be said. Many times, we simply need to be that faithful presence in the, our sinner spouse's life, right? And then the Holy Spirit's doing a work in your spouse's life. They are. Give grace, give grace. But here's the deal. We talked about this idea of the foundation, uh, the fountain. But if our marriages just stopped there, if it was just about us, something would be missing. It'd be a, a small, less picture. Dave Harvey says this. Marriage was not just invented by God. It belongs to God. He has unique claim over its design, its purpose, and goals. It actually exists for him more than it exists for you and me and our spouses. God is the most important person in a marriage. Marriage is for our good, for our redemption, right? But it's first for God's glory, which is the foundation, the focus of our marriage, which is God's glory. That the focus, the purpose of our marriage is the glory of God. Look at Ephesians 5.32. Paul talking about marriage says, This mystery is profound. This mystery of marriage and how this works. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Our marriage is set within this broken world to be this living, breathing reminder and parable of Christ's relationship and love for his church. It's this picture of a man loving his wife like Christ loves the church, right? And this woman, in response, submitting 
and loving their spouse in response to this kind of love. This picture of oneness, this picture of of working together should be a picture to a watching world of something grander and I might even say mysterious. That our marriage should be full of such sacrificial love that the world actually takes notice. That, uh, that your parents or your siblings or your cousin or your coworker or your neighbor, they can actually see something different in a marriage. People showing grace to each other, bearing with one another through all their, all their troubles. But many times our focus is much more shallow, isn't it? Our focus really is just our happiness. That the purpose of our marriage is to make us happy. And that focus is shallow and it leaves us wanting. So I'm going to end with this. I'm going to ask this question. What is the specific purpose of your marriage? Uh, I shared this story um, last year at our marriage retreat. And I'm going to share it again. Uh, Donald Miller uh, has a podcast. And um, he shared this story about he got married. And him and his wife... um, we're talking about uh, their marriage and their next steps and what they wanted um, to do in their life. And they said, we want our, our marriage, our home, to be a safe place for people to come into. That our marriage is going to be this thing that we pour out for others. And so they have committed to using their home to simply invite people in over and over. And they said they've had over 20-something people or families live with them in a, like a, a two-year span. Their marriage, their, their, their partnership, their covenant was for the purpose of showing love and life to others. And they did that by opening their home up to others. And here's what I want to press on us. is I, I pray through this series that we begin to see steps in our marriage, that there's more joy in our marriage. God does not want us white, kind of being a zombie through our marriage, right? He doesn't want just co-parents. He wants there to be true companionship, true partnership, true covenantal love in our marriage. And so I pray that we take steps in this, that there is true covenantal love in our marriages. But it doesn't end there, right? That listen, that your marriages, your relationship, your resources, your life are made for so much more than just your own happiness. And I will say this too, as we live our lives and our marriages for the purpose of God's glory, that's a life worth living. That's a marriage worth having. That is much greater than being than you've got male, right? That's much greater than simply romantic love. But living our life for this great purpose brings great meaning and great purpose to our marriage. So what is the purpose of your marriage? Have you and your spouse talked about that? Like, like what could we do together, right? Like, what could we do together in the next 30 years of our life? Not just survive. How can we thrive? How can we help others? It's a great conversation for you and your spouse to have today. What are we going to do together? Isn't that exciting? Just me. How will your marriage 
played this part in God's story. Many of you, and I know this is true in my life, we all have a story. Our marriages have a story, don't they? Of God seeing us through all kinds of trials, all kinds of sin. How are we going to kind of share our story or help others in the midst of their story? God has given us a great purpose in our relationship. So two steps for you to take this week. First, evaluate the pieces. We talk about the pieces in our marriages, right? The foundation is the Bible. The foundation is this idea of covenant, not contract. So evaluate in our marriage. Are we living? Are we believing? Is our mind renewed in the sense of God's way for marriage, which is covenant? Is our mind believing that? Evaluate that piece in your life. Does covenant lead your marriage or contract lead your marriage? Second, evaluate the piece of the fountain of marriage, which is the gospel. Is the gospel, is grace, are you being a tool for redemption or for the fall in your spouse's life? Evaluate that piece in your marriage. And lastly, lastly, evaluate, evaluate the piece of the focus of your marriage. Ask that question, what are we going to do together for the next 25, 30 years of our lives? Evaluate the pieces. And last step, get to work. No, that didn't come up. There he is. Get to work. Uh, That's what I would say. Humbly take the next step in your marriage. Every marriage in this room has a step to take. You might have a great marriage. You do not have a perfect marriage. Humbly take that next step. And I would encourage you, let, let this series be a way that you guys come together. You know the beauty of counseling? There's a, a lot of, of benefits of counseling. One of the best things about counseling for me is just by showing up, we're working on our marriage. Does that make sense? Just the act of showing up means for an hour, we're going we're gonna to think, we're going to talk, we're going to cry. Someone else is going to encourage us in our marriage. Something about just showing up and working on things, even in an environment like this, is a step to take. So take a step, get to work, because uh, I think about um, the reason we do marriage series or retreats or seminars, what are all these kind of things that we do, right, is because um, our marriages truly are, as Paul says, a mystery, a mystery to a watching world. In a world where contractual love, not covenant love, is the norm, our marriages have such potential potential for real change in our community, in our lives. And I do not want us as a people to walk through life in our marriages in misery. Like, what could joy look like in our marriages, right? What could joy look like in our marriages? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time together. You have been so good to us during this time, Father. Let us leave today and go worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord. We love you. Proud Jesus' name. Amen.